0: Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, a conversation with Dan Blue, the minority leader in the state Senate. And later, the panel weighs in on Speaker Pelosi's plan for election reform. Next. Major funding for Front Row is
1: provided by Robert L. Letty. Additional funding provided by. Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hipp. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash Front Row. It's Front
0: Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back to Front Row, Senator Blue.
2: Thank you, glad to be back with you. Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Really good to see you again. Why don't we begin with the pandemic North Carolina's response, and what we need to do to get more shots in the arms of North Carolinians.
2: Great topic, uh, Mark. Uh, As of yesterday, uh, uh, North Carolina uh, providers had administered 99.8% of all the vaccines that we have received from uh, the federal government. Uh, And so the first issue is we got to get more vaccines. Uh, We got to get more vaccine so that all of these lines that are forming all over the state uh, aren't as long. We have the people in the state uh, who are overwhelmingly willing uh, to receive the vaccination. Uh, We just got to get the product so that then we can get it out uh, to get it in people's arms. Uh, It took a while to get it started, but I think uh, we're on a good road now. got more people uh, involved in it, the volunteers and uh, and the medical professionals. So we just need more product. And as you know, earlier this week, uh, 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 President Biden indicated that he was increasing each state supply by 16 percent, and they were definitely doing that over a three-week period so that as you plan for it, uh, you know that you're going to get the product. And you don't frustrate people who are in line and then you tell them that they can't get vaccinated.
0: Do we need more vaccination uh, sites, pharmacies? Should they be getting the vaccine, be, be able to administer? What about primary care doctors?
2: I think that once we uh, know that we're going to get a state of supply of vaccine, the more sites uh, where the vaccinations can be administered, the better off we are. Uh, I talked to many doctors who don't have the refrigeration facilities or the backup facilities in case the power goes off. But with the new vaccines coming online, I think uh, the Johnson & Johnson, uh, which is reported on just this week, uh, won't require the refrigeration, the deep refrigeration. So there'll be a variety of different places that you can now do vaccination. But once we get the product, Everywhere that's qualified to administer vaccines, as we do with the flu and other vaccinations, we ought to make them eligible and let them do it. No better place than in a doctor's office. He has your record or his his, his assistant uh, or her assistant. And so, yes, we ought to get it in as many places as we can, the mass vaccinations, the the health department vaccinations, the medical uh, uh, organizations, and certainly the doctor's offices and pharmacies.
0: I want to change gears a little bit, stay on COVID, but talk about the federal money that came down for COVID relief. How should it be allocated in North Carolina?
2: Uh, The new money, as opposed to how we did it the last time. Uh, and I think that the system that we used the last time was a, as close to perfect as you're going to get. We really look at the most pressing and urgent needs in the state. Uh, one of those I would say right now is to figure out how we can get, again, uh, more folks vaccinated so we can get our kids back to school. Uh, that would be my uh, the focus. Whatever we can do to get the schools reopened, uh, because that's what's going to help us get the economy going again. Uh, but again, that gets back to the question of having the product to get as many people vaccinated as soon as possible.
0: Let me ask you, have lockdowns worked or have they been counterproductive in your view? And the it's in, uh, in school transmissions are very low. Should the kids be back at school now? And what's the downside but- if they're not?
2: Well, uh, certainly the the, the downside of the kids not being in school for almost a year is that we got to take extraordinary efforts uh, to help them make up for the time that they miss. That might mean uh, longer school years. It might mean summer schools. uh, It might mean longer days. But we really need to get this information to these these kids so that they can then perform grade appropriate. Uh, So I think that we really have to work hard to get students back in school. Uh, But one of the things we got to have the people who are teaching them and their instructors, as well as the other uh, school assistance personnel. Uh, And if they feel unsafe, they're simply not going. Uh, The local school districts can get a sense of that and a feel of how quickly they ought to open physically and stuff, because they know uh, their teachers, they know their school personnel, uh, and all of the others associated with it. Uh, but, But even in addition to that, uh, I think that we got to get the kids back in school once we can do it safely and responsibly, uh, should, according should, to the problem that coming from the national level pretty soon.
0: Should teachers be vaccinated before the kids come back to school?
2: Uh, I would argue that the teachers ought to be vaccinated, or at least be vaccinated at the same time uh, that the frontline workers are being vaccinated because you can't get more frontline. Uh, than a teacher in the classroom, uh, especially with the uh, young kids, their nose running and everything else. There's going to be closeness with them. Uh, and so the teachers, so that they got some self-confidence uh, uh, that they're safe, need to be vaccinated uh, as early as possible. Again, it goes back to the availability of the product. And we really got to ramp up uh, the production of it, uh, the action by President Biden to say that we're going to get 200 million more doses in the short run, I think it's positive. But we got to step up manufacturing to get more vaccine.
0: I want to talk about the General Assembly a little bit in the process. Are we going to have a budget deal this year that the governor can sign?
2: You bet you, you, you bet your life on it. We're going to have a budget this time, and I think that the governor will participate more in some of the aspects of it. I have no doubt at all that uh, we will be able to uh, uh, negotiate wherever the bumpy spots are in a budget. And uh, at the end of uh, uh, the year, that is uh, the fiscal year, by uh, July 1 or early thereafter, uh, we will have a budget.
0: Well, let me let me ask you, are you talking with Senator Berger, Tim Moore and your colleagues uh, on the House? And is the governor participating in those conversations, sir?
2: Uh, we've had conversations, the uh, governor, uh, uh, Senator Berger, Speaker Moore, uh, me, as well as uh, the minority leader uh, in the House, Representative Reeves. Uh, we've had conversations, uh, and conversations have been ongoing since the election. Sometimes just uh, Senator Berger and me, and I think times uh, uh Governor Cooper and Senator Berger, and the same thing with the Speaker. So people are talking. All of us are in uh, in, in 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 our terms for at least two more years, and. All of us got to know how to work together to do what's best for all of North Carolina. And, and I'm convinced that we will. And a budget will be uh, forthcoming from that process.
0: Are we looking you know, at the amazing process? The,
2: the, 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 the magic about this whole democracy that we have uh, is that built into it to make it work successfully, there's this concept of compromise. You don't always get 100 percent of what you want. And so all of the participants have to understand that but we got to have open negotiations uh, so that we can accommodate everybody's major concerns.
0: Are we looking at an infrastructure bond this year? Are you in favor
2: of that? I'm very much in favor of it. There's no better time to do it than now. If you look at the pressing needs across the state, if we do one involving community colleges, universities, public schools, uh, and infrastructure for water and sewer across the state, I think uh, we'll get money cheaper than uh, we can get it at any other time. And we'll have the state poised to take off once this pandemic is behind us. Thirdly, it will provide uh, economic activity and employment for a lot of our people.
0: When will we deal with redistricting? redistricting? Is it based on when we get the census uh, straightened out?
2: Totally dependent on when the census comes. Uh, and I think that that's going to be uh, later rather than sooner. Uh, so it may be over into the summer before we actually know what the census numbers are. And it could be uh, in late summer or early fall before we can uh, really get seriously into uh, uh, the redistricting discussion. But when we get there, it's got to be an open process so citizens can participate.
0: Are we looking at picking up at least one congressional seat, sir?
2: Uh, it should be, based on the preliminary uh, uh, census data. Uh, North Carolina ought to be assured an additional uh, congressional seat uh, taking us to uh, 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 15, 14 congressional seats. Uh, and so I think that uh, uh, we can almost bet that we will get one.
0: Let me ask you this. Any final thoughts? We've got to roll in about 30 seconds, sir.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, Mark we got a lot of work to do this has been a very trying time for the state uh we got the money in the treasury some of it as a result of not having a budget the last time uh but we really got to put in place programs to help our small businesses uh, recover they have been totally knocked down in this pandemic. Uh, We got to make sure that we put in place things that can get our kids back in school. Uh, And those are the two primary factors we'll be dealing with. And, you know, we also got to make sure that we uh, have processes that allow us to get the vaccination as soon as possible. Some pressing things. We got the resources to do it. We ought to do it early as we get this session going.
0: Sir, thanks for being with us again today. Let's catch up soon.
2: I look forward to it, Mark. Thank you again for having me.
0: Okay, joining me now, Mitch Kokai with Carolina Journal, communications consultant, Donna King, and political analyst, Joe Stewart. Mitch, why don't we begin with Speaker Pelosi's plan for election reform, my friend.
3: You're talking about a, a bill called the For the People Act of 2021. It's H.R. 1, so one of the very first pieces of legislation on the table in the U.S. House of Representatives. A nearly 800 page bill, and the main sponsor is Democratic Representative John Sarbanes of Maryland. Now, supporters say that this is a bill that would expand voting rights and strengthen the ethics rules for elected officials and weaken the role of money in politics. Among the key provisions are some national Standards for the way that elections would be conducted, including 15 days of early voting across the country, same day voter registration across the country. People who support this say that this is going to be a good way to make sure elections are streamlined and that things work well across the country. Critics are saying, no, this is a Democratic Party power grab, and it's uh, the Democratic Party trying to federalize and micromanage elections in a way that the Constitution does not support. They say it interferes with the state's important roles for making sure that the voter rolls are accurate. And it also... Uh, reverses the decentralization of the election process that the founders thought was so important to preserving our liberty and freedom. This is a piece of legislation that has made it through the House before, but died in the Senate. I suspect that we might see a similar uh, arrangement this time around.
0: Joe, does this nationalize elections? And where's the accountability?
4: Yeah,
3: part of the challenge with any federal legislation
4: that comes out regarding elections is, as Mitch noted, it eclipses what has been the historic role states play in organizing the electoral process based on the culture, geography, the temperament of their particular state. The the challenge is we've gone through a cycle now where there've been a lot of allegations about irregularity in the election. We, We do all agree that we should have confidence that our system is fair and that voters have the ability to cast a ballot and have confidence that it's being calculated and tabulated accurately. Now, whether or not there needs to be broader federal legislation or not, we probably do need to make some investments in the systems of of elections just to make sure voters have that penultimate sense of confidence that everything's being run smoothly and fairly to select our leaders.
0: Donna, this does call for universal mail-in ballots. I don't see how that can be accountable for uh, for the voters, for the system.
5: I think that's one of the problems that they're running into, is that there is a real erosion of public trust in the election system uh, this year. This piece of legislation does say that Congress has the ultimate supervisory power over federal elections, and that is centralizing power under whatever party controls Congress. And I think that that is going to really not help in that public trust issue, because it does uh, create nationwide mail-in ballot under the control of Congress. Uh, Even this campaign finance piece, which creates a matching fund for people, that's controlled uh, by whomever is is running that matching system and approving who gets it and who doesn't. And those people are hired by whoever's controlling Congress. So that centralizing of power, while it seems to streamline the process, make it uh, more uniform across the country, I'm afraid it's really not going to do much to reinstate our public trust in the system.
0: Mitch, is this an overreach by Speaker Pelosi? Now they, they do have the Senate now, so I do think there may be a prospect for this to move forward.
3: Yeah, it possibly could. Uh, Certainly, if the filibuster goes away, it would make it a lot more easy since uh, you have 51-50 with uh, Vice President Harris being able to cast a tie-breaking vote. But it could be an overreach. It's certainly something that's already passed the House, so it didn't necessarily hurt Nancy Pelosi the last time she tried it. Uh, Since it didn't then, I'm not surprised she's trying it again. One of the sad points, though, here is that because of the, the controversies over the last elections. People have thought that they, the elections perhaps have been rigged. If you have a national-only election controlled by Congress, it would make that prospect much more likely. Okay. we
0: got to move on. Joe, let's talk politics. Is the GOP having a meltdown? Are they having an identity crisis? Some pundits think so.
4: Well, it's interesting. Every time a president leaves the White House, they they in effect become, to some extent, particularly when there's a change in partisan control of the White House, the representative of their party. Bill Clinton had that experience. He left under something of a cloud as well. And so President, uh, former President Trump now in Florida, started what he's called the Office of the Former President, which is not a thing in the same way that President-elect Biden created the Office of the President-elect. Which is not a thing, and so I should announce here on front row. I'm starting the office of Joe has a full head of hair and is very good looking. Uh, If it's possible to invent, uh, that's what I would invent. But but I think for the Republicans that there is a little bit of a challenge here that the president left under something of President former President Trump led left under something of a cloud. And now the question is, is he the titular head of the Republican Party? President Trump, there was some speculation might be playing with the idea of forming his own political party. He's now said that's not true. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, has gone to Florida to met with the president. They're, they're looking to make sure that that cohort within the Republican Party base that's loyal to Donald Trump remains active and engaged. They're seeing things like in North Carolina's reported 10,000 people had changed their Republican registration as a result of the events on the cap in the Capitol on January 6th. But, but I think it goes without saying that Both parties have a little bit of an identity crisis right now. Within the Democratic Party, there's a real challenge going on between the liberal wing of the the Democrats and the very, very liberal wing of the Democrats. And it's leaving moderate Democrats a little bit scratching their head like, what is the identity of this party? So we'll have to see what role President, former President Trump plays in American politics going forward. My bet is he will be an active and very outspoken force in our politics going forward.
0: Great points. Donna, he does have Trump has an 87 percent approval rating among Republicans that voted for him before. And it looks to me like he's already starting to endorse. He endorsed the uh, chairwoman in Arizona. She won a GOP chairman and he's getting involved in Republican primaries.
5: Absolutely. He's already flexing some political muscle as a a former president. And I think that Republicans who are currently in office would be well-served to really pay attention to that 74 million uh, people in their party that actually voted for him, not try and brush it under the rug. Uh, But I think, in general, some of that identity crisis is that the policy and the goals of the Republican Party have been very reactionary over the last, you know, many years. And instead of looking forward, they're reacting to what they see Democrats do. Uh, if you remember back with the contract with America, it was very clear, uh, 10 goals, very positive, move, fo- moving forward, and they won. And I think that that's what they really need to do is create a vision for what they say they want this country to look like and really sell that vision and uh, make it a positive step forward for voters.
0: I mean, let's put this in context. One thing we do know,
3: I don't think Trump's going quietly into the night. Yeah, he definitely is not. Uh, Joe has already referenced the office of the former president, which signals that he's going to continue to, to play a role. You also mentioned the fact that he seems to be in the endorsement game. And there are a lot of people thinking that President Trump is going to uh, be involved in some payback for people who didn't support him on things like the second impeachment, that he might be out there trying to uh, help primary some of these people who are in office especially senators who seem to be against him one of the key issues here is if the election of 2020 had been crystal clear that joe biden had won donald trump had lost then i think all republicans even if they continue to support donald trump would say what do we need to do differently what are the things that we need to change to win next time around there are so many people who think that he actually won that they aren't engaging in that self-reflection and that's going to hurt republicans
0: Yet he only has a 40 percent approval rating among the general public in America.
3: Yeah, that's and that's going to be something that Republicans need to deal with. Just how much do they want to be tied to President Trump? He is very popular among Republicans, among unaffiliated Democrats, much less so.
0: Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch.
3: Well, this is something that should be of concern to parents uh, who have kids in the public schools, and that is that there is a dispute on the State Board of Education about the future of social studies standards in North Carolina's public schools. Uh, There have been some suggested changes, and the supporters of them are saying that they are designed to ensure that students are hearing from more voices about American history and the culture, and uh, especially trying to get more marginalized voices. That's how it's being promoted. The critics, though, are saying that these standards are being rewritten to put in a political agenda, one that is Anti-American, and one person who's been very vocal in criticizing these standards is one of the newest members of the board of education. Because of his job, the lieutenant governor Mark Robinson, he says, "Look, these these standards are bad. They seem to be anti-American. They're telling people to view our country in a negative way." Okay, and so this is something that's going to be de- dealt with. There should be a vote on this, perhaps in February. Donna, underreported, please.
5: Uh, underreported this week, the number of deaths in nursing homes in New York due to COVID. A report came out from the Attorney General of New York this week that said that deaths in nursing homes, uh, overall deaths due to COVID, uh, may be under, may have been underreported by as much as half. And that's a that's a big deal because you remember uh, Governor Cuomo wrote a book and won an Emmy over how his he handled the pandemic. So now, if we find out that you know may, perhaps even double the number of people in the greatest generation died uh, during that pandemic. Remember, they were on the pointy end. It was happening there first. So uh, that learning curve, well-intentioned or not, may end up being a cautionary tale for history.
0: Little factoid, he wrote a book on how he handled the pandemic, and he also got an Emmy for handling the mm-hmm. pandemic. Okay, underreported, please, Joe.
4: Earlier this week, officials in Guilford County and the city of Greensboro had a press conference to lament the fact that it looked like they were going to receive fewer than the number of COVID-19 vaccines that have been promised them, stating that the super distribution center that was being formed in Mecklenburg County appeared to be getting dosages that were intended for that city in the triad, lamenting the fact that Greensboro and much of the triad feels like they are the redheaded stepchild in North Carolina, long sort of held on the short end of the stick. So maybe the new dynamic that's emerging, in addition to urban versus rural, is urban versus urbaner.
0: Let me ask you, by and large, do you think that uh, uh, Mandy Cohen and the governor are getting good marks for the way they're handling the pandemic?
4: You know, I think the polling shows, generally speaking, people are not un- entirely unsatisfied with the system. I think there are a lot of kinks to work out. This is a, a big undertaking and they're trying to just sort of whack-a-mole in terms of what they have to do and in figuring out where there are hot spots and where vaccines need to be. There's a little bit of on-the-job learning in this process, but I think, generally speaking, people feel as though, at, at the very least, Governor Cooper and Secretary Cohen are trying their best to
3: make sure we're on top of this.
0: Okay, let's go to lightning round. Mitch, who's up and who's down this week?
3: My who's up is the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, who, of course, has taken heat from all sides of the political spectrum over the years. But I'm saying he's up this time because he actually read the Constitution, which says that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court only deals with an impeachment case if the president is the person who is impeached. Donald Trump's no longer the president. So John Roberts isn't going to take part in the second impeachment trial. My who's down? Fundraisers for Republican candidates running for the U.S. Senate in 2022. 34 seats right now are up for grabs, 20 of them held by Republicans, so Republicans were already going to have to do a lot more work to help preserve their seats. And the four open seats, including one that just became open this week, are all Republicans. They're all in tough states. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and now, as of this week, Ohio. Donna, who's up and who's down this week?
5: Um up is executive orders. We saw uh newly elected President uh Joe Biden sign, I think we're what, forty elect uh, forty executive orders in the first
0: and counting. Ten
5: days and counting. Uh you know, that's setting a record, of course, that number. But I you know, you gotta look at one reason he's probably doing it. This is a straight line between uh you know, his supporters, his base wanted to see immediate uh about face from Donald Trump, and that's what he's giving him. The priori- prioritizing uh, climate policy, undoing immigration policy, undoing some of the economic policy. Uh, so whether he's actually going to be able to take that kind of—flex that kind of muscle when it actually has to get through Congress, uh, that might be a different a different story, because a lot of them were a little bit vague, and some of them set goals that were already on track to be met. So some of them may be more symbolic than substance. Uh, my down parents and students, were are really seeing a boiling point. Parents and students are frustrated about not being in school. Uh, we're seeing down at the General Assembly. Senate leader Phil Berger has said they're working on some uh, some legislation okay. that may get those kids back in the classroom.
0: Joe, who's up and who's down this week quickly, my friend?
5: Who's up? Toys. An increase over 16% the
4: previous year in 2020. $25.1 billion in toys purchased as parents try to come up with something for kids to do. I guess they just didn't have a refrigerator box to give them, which is the universal <laughs> toy that's interesting. Who's down? Anybody that tweets or uses social media is in a highly conspicuous corporate position. We continue to see people losing their jobs as a result of ill-timed or poorly worded statements they make on social media. I think the cautionary tale going forward is be very careful about the things you say in social media if you want to keep your job.
0: So can Twitter be hazardous to your health? Well, it can certainly be hazardous to your occupation. Okay, headline next week, Mitch. Vote
3: counting continues as Senate prepares for second Trump impeachment trial. Donna, headline next week.
5: Students head back to the classroom, at least in a more hybrid in-person remote system.
0: Joe, headline next week.
4: North Carolina General Assembly off to a fast start or North Carolina General Assembly off to a slow start. It'll definitely be one of those.
0: (laughs) What are the prospects, Joe, for a budget deal?
4: I agree with the minority leader. I think there's a good prospect that we'll have a budget. It appears because Governor Cooper's now in his second term cannot run for election again after this term. He's far more committed to getting the work done and figuring out the best way to compromise with Republican leaders in the General Assembly.
0: Okay, we've got a roll. Great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Lenny. Additional funding provided by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by. NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.